Hey, good morning and uh, happy new year. Um, if you're new with us, uh, we're glad you're here. Maybe this is uh, your first time back in church in a while or maybe ever. Um, whatever it is, we're glad that you're here um, hearing the, the good news of Jesus for yourself and really pray that this would be a, a safe and welcoming place for you to do so. Um, if you're new, my name is Ryan. I serve here as one of the pastors and uh, once again, just really glad uh, that you're here. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and make your way to Psalm chapter 1. That's Psalm chapter 1. With today uh, being the first day of a new year, we, we thought it would be good to just kind of take some time and uh, focus in on uh, kind of setting the tone for, for how we want to pursue God this year and what our pursuit of God is going to look like uh, together as a church. Because uh, even though most of us never keep them, uh, most of us are still making the time to make resolutions uh, around this time of the year, how maybe this is the year that we're finally going to lose the weight, or this is the year that we're finally going to get serious about reading the Bible, uh, this is the year we're finally going to learn that new hobby or side hustle. And, and you know, even if you don't have like specific resolutions written out, uh, I'd imagine you, you've got ways that you're wanting 2023 to be better and different than 2022 was. Like no one in here is resolving uh, I want to be more sad this year than I was last year. I want things to be worse at the beginning of 2024 than they are right now at the beginning of 2023. And so I'm going to make the changes in my life this year that are necessary to make uh, life go worse for me. No, like we, we want to be happy. We're looking for happiness. We, we want things to be better. Every single one of us has happiness as our chief goal. Like it drives every decision that you make. Any resolutions that you're making, any changes you're thinking about in your life right now, you're, you're doing that because you want to be happier. You want life to go better for you. Uh, this, this psalm that we're going to look at this morning, Psalm 1, really tells us the reason we do that is because we were made for this. We were made for happiness. But not only is it going to tell us that we were made for happiness, it's going to show us where we find uh, the happiness that we were, that we're looking for, how we actually can uh, be happy and actually can find uh, that happiness. And so let's look at this uh, together. Psalm cha uh, chapter 1, we're going to read the whole psalm, starting in verse 1. The very word of God to us speaks to us like this. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So this psalm, as the first psalm, really introduces the whole book of psalms to us and shows us what the whole book is about, uh, how to be happy, where to find blessing. And I, I'm sure you notice as we read through this that this psalm really pretty clearly lays out two different ways to live. One way leads to being blessed, the other way leads uh, to being cursed. And so that's how we're going to walk through it this morning. And so let's think first uh, about how the psalm shows us uh, how to be blessed. Uh, because the psalm begins with just that, blessing. Blessed is the man. 
Uh, Blessed is a word that means happy, flourishing. Think life the way that it was meant to be. To be blessed is to know the happiness of living your life the way God created you to live it. And so uh, this psalm tells us how to experience this blessing first by not doing something. It says that the person who is blessed does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And notice how in the psalm it kind of intensifies and progresses from walking to standing to to finally sitting. To, To walk in the counsel of the wicked is to first listen to the wisdom and counsel and advice of the world, a world that's uh, that doesn't follow God and is opposed to God. To stand is to go is to go a little bit further. Because now you're not just kind of listening to the wisdom of the world. You stop walking by and you stand and you take notice of it. You're checking it out. You're mulling it over. You're thinking about it. You know, maybe, maybe they're actually right about this. Sitting is now, you're not just listening. Uh, you're not just agreeing. Now you're contributing to the conversation. You're, you're all the way into this and you're one of the people leading the charge now. And listen, this is how sin progresses in our lives. You go from first hearing the conversation at work about something that God hates, and maybe when you first hear it, you don't do anything with it. But then the next time you hear it, the next time people are talking about it, you laugh and you think, yeah, that, that's pretty funny. And, and then you hear it again and you start to think, not only is this funny, like they, they might actually have a point here. They, there's a lot of wisdom in what they're saying. They know what they're talking about. And then after a while, You're actually participating in the conversation, pushing it forward, celebrating something that God hates. We get deeper and deeper into sin when we start to be increasingly influenced by it like this. You know, it all points back to the reality that we are going to be shaped and influenced by what we take in and what we give our time to. What you take in is going to shape you and affect you. You just can't avoid it. And so if we want to be blessed, not only does God call us away from something, in verse 2, He calls us to something. Verse 2 says, instead of walking and standing and sitting with the wicked and the scoffers, the blessed person's delight is in the law of the Lord, uh, and on God's law, he meditates day and night. Now, when the psalm says law here, the word that's translated law here is Torah, which is probably better translated instruction. Because uh, we hear the word law and we think commandments and rules, but uh, the first five books of the Bible, like Genesis through Deuteronomy, are, are known as the Torah, are known as instruction. In fact, the whole Bible is instruction for us. It's leading us in the way of wisdom. And so this psalm isn't so much talking about meditating on God's rules and commandments uh, as it is on knowing and meditating on God's Word as a whole. And I know a lot of times when we think about or we hear the word meditation, what kind of comes to our mind is, is a more kind of Eastern concept of meditation, emptying your mind and trying to reach a state of nirvana. But that's not what the Bible is talking about when the Bible talks about meditation. Biblical meditation is not emptying your mind, it's filling it. It's filling it with the Word of God. And look, I'll just tell you, you, you know how to do this. You're actually meditating all the time. Uh, Because when somebody does you wrong or does something that frustrates you, what do you do? You know what you do. You meditate on it. You you replay the scenario and what they said or they did over and over in your mind, and you think about how unjust what they did to you was and how stupid they are, and you always come up with the perfect comeback when you're in the shower and it's way too late. Uh, But what are you doing in that moment? You're meditating. 
You're, you're thinking about it constantly. You're turning it over and over in your mind, considering it from all these different angles. You're like a dog that just won't let go of a bone. You just can't leave it alone. You keep coming back to it. That's what the Bible is talking about when it talks about meditation. So verse 2 says that the blessed person's delight is in God's Word, and he meditates on it day and night. This means all the time you're turning God's Word over and over in your mind, thinking about it, praying through it, mulling over it, considering it from all these different angles, trying to apply it all the time. So instead of meditating on the wisdom of the world, this person that's blessed is filling their heart and their mind and their life with the Word of God. And and notice, the the psalm says that this meditation does something. Look at verse 3 at what it says. It says that, that this blessed person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. And this is the type of life that you want, is it not? Like this meditation on God's Word, the psalm saying it plants deep roots in this person's life. Because think about this picture that it's presenting here. Like circumstances and externals don't affect this tree in, in, in Psalm 1-3. There could be a, a massive heat weight and a drought, but the tree is not going to die because that's not where it's getting its life source from. Instead, it's constantly drawing its life from the streams of water that it's planted beside. No, no matter the season, this tree is always bearing fruit. Its leaf does not wither or dry up. Now, here are a few things that I think this shows us. I, I think this shows us that when we meditate on God's Word day and night like this, that this eventually becomes true of us. That, that we become a person with roots, a person who isn't easily blown over anytime a difficult circumstance happens to us. We draw our life from the waters of God's Word so we don't dry up when there's a drought. This also shows us that blessing and happiness is not found in, in external, what's going on externally or in getting yourself into the right circumstances. Happiness is found in something deeper, something that gives you roots where you can draw your life from, something that makes it where you're not dependent on getting into the right circumstance to, to have happiness. Second thing I want you to notice here is that this isn't something that happens overnight. Uh, trees don't spring up overnight and start bearing fruit. This is a process that takes time. And so if you haven't gotten into the discipline and habit of reading your Bible and you, you start trying to do that this year, like I just want to be upfront with you, uh, it's not going to feel very useful at first. It's not going to feel like, and it's not going to look like it's doing anything in your life at first. Because just like a tree, this, this fruit takes time to develop. It takes repeated exposure to the streams of water for the tree to grow and bear fruit. But as you continually nourish yourself with the waters of God's Word, you will begin to bear fruit. You will begin to become a person with roots that isn't so easily swayed in the wind. Now, I, I know we just kind of like everything microwaved and instant, but, but could you just dream with me about what our lives might look like uh, if you spent the next couple of decades just soaking yourself in God's Word? Lots of days that seem really normal and unexciting, but over the next two decades, you develop into a person who's constantly bearing fruit. Like, I want this. I, I want this for myself. I want this for us. Like, And we can have this if we will make our lives one of meditating on God's Word. This 
picture of a person who's like a tree rooted and always bearing fruit. It, it can be true of you. This is the way to be blessed, a life spent delighting in and meditating on the Word of God. And that's one way to live. And, and next, the psalmist is going to tell us the other way to live, the, the way to be cursed. Look at verse 4 again with me. It says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. And so in contrast to the blessed person who meditates on God's Word day and night, it's like a tree planted by streams of water, always bearing fruit, uh, the wicked are not like that. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. And if I'm uh, understanding this correctly, uh, what you would do back then when you were threshing wheat is you would go to the threshing floor and you'd take the grain and you'd kind of throw it up into the air above the threshing floor and the wind would come and separate the chaff from the grain. So you'd throw it up and the grain would fall back down because it had weight, uh, but the chaff would just kind of float away in the wind because it was weightless and rootless. And the psalm is saying that's what the wicked are like. They don't have roots. They don't have stability. They blow away in the wind. They're easily swayed. And so the psalmist goes on in verse 5 and says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So because they don't have roots, when God's judgment comes, they're not going to be able to stand. They're going to be blown over. They're going to experience judgment. It says the Lord knows the way of the righteous. This isn't just kind of knowing some facts about their life. This is saving knowledge. He knows them in a way that they will stand and come through the judgment, but the way of the wicked is going to perish. Uh, again, a few things I'll, I want to bring out here. One, I just want to show you the contrast between these two ways of life. Like, which way sounds more appealing to you? Being rootless and weightless and easily blown about, or, or being a person with deep roots who is constantly growing and bearing fruit as the years grow on? Years go on. Listen, sin is enjoyable. We wouldn't do it if it wasn't, but all the happiness that you get from sin is quickly fading and will just lead you, if you don't repent of it, uh, to perishing eternally. Do you, do you really want to be the person that looks up at your life 20 to 30 years from now and, you know, maybe you do have all the things that you were chasing after, maybe you don't, but even if you do, getting to that point and realizing that, that you still aren't happy that you still don't have any real roots, that you still don't have any real depth, and, and everything in your life just feels kind of rootless and weightless. And on top of that, like what the psalm shows us here is that this judgment on the wicked, it's real and it's coming. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, like I just have to be honest with you, this judgment is hanging over your head. If you do not turn to Jesus, you will perish. I know it's the first Sunday of 2023, and we're all excited about the possibilities that the new year might bring, and I'm being a downer, but man, you need to know that this judgment is coming, and it's coming for you. This passage is just crystal clear on this. If you pursue the life of the wicked, a life of not following God, whatever happiness you find in this life is going to perish quickly, and you're going to perish quickly after why would you want to be rootless for 70 to 80 years here and then perish eternally? Why wouldn't you rather enjoy eternal life with Jesus that starts now and goes on forever? That, that, that will lead to eternal, ever-increasing happiness. And you can have that. But you can't get it the way that you might think you can. 
Because you know, it'd be really easy for us to read this psalm in a real moralistic way. Uh, you know, there's righteous people and there's wicked people, and the good people go to heaven and the bad people go to hell. So if I want to go to heaven, I need to try to be a better person this year and be a good person. So I guess I should start doing that. Uh, but that misses something important here. Because if you're going to go that route and try that, uh, you're going to have to be perfect. Because the blessed person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, like they, don't, they don't do that ever. It's not just sometimes, it's ever. Can you honestly say that you've never done that, that you, you've always done that in your life? I'll just go ahead and answer for you so that you don't start off the new year by lying. No, you can't. And even if you were able to be perfect for the rest of your life, which you're not going to be able to, it wouldn't be able to make up for the ways that you've already sinned. Which means that the blessed person, that, that you and I are not the blessed person that this psalm is talking about. We're the wicked. We are the ones who will perish. We are the ones who will not stand in the judgment if we are left to ourselves. The good news is that we are not left to ourselves. Because while none of us can honestly say that we followed the blessed way of Psalm chapter 1, there is one person who can, and his name is Jesus. You see, the blessed man that this psalm is talking about is Jesus. He's the only one that this psalm can be talking about. The first three verses of the psalm, they really describe the incarnation. Because Jesus came as a man and He lived in perfection. He did not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Instead, He delighted in the Word of God, meditated on it day and night, so much so that He actually came to fulfill it and obey it perfectly. And He did this. And He was like a tree planted by streams of living water, always bearing fruit and life, but in the great twist of the gospel, the author of life went and took our curse and hung on a tree of death and turned it into a tree of life for us. And because he took our death and the curse of Psalm 1 that we deserve and defeated it and rose from the dead, the good news of the gospel is that all of the blessings of Psalm 1 that he earned can now become ours through his righteousness, through his obedience. Because the Bible tells us that when we trust in Jesus, we are united to Him, and that in Him, His life becomes our life, and His death becomes our death, and His resurrection becomes our resurrection. And so if you have trusted in Jesus, the blessings that His obedience have earned are now given to you. It's the great exchange of the gospel. He takes our sin and the curse of death that our sin earned, and He defeats it, and in return, He gives us His righteousness and His life and His blessing. Like We have not earned it. We do not deserve it, but it's ours just as if we had because of Jesus. It's the good news that Psalm 1 proclaims to us, but the, the further good news that the psalm proclaims to us is that not only does Jesus just give us His blessing and His righteousness, He actually starts to make us righteous when He saves us. He starts to transform us from the inside out. So as you and I follow Jesus, we really do become more and more like this blessed man described in the first three verses. We really do start to look more like him. And so if you want to be happy, if you want to know and have the blessed life, you can have it. You can find it. It's found in Jesus. Uh, as my boy, our boy, really should be everyone's boy, St. Augustine put it, 
Uh, our hearts are restless. Our hearts are made for God, and they are restless until they find their rest in Him. But the more we'll learn to rest our hearts in God, the more we'll become rooted, the more we'll experience lasting happiness that can't be shaken by the winds and waves of circumstances because our happiness is firmly rooted in Jesus. And so how do you do that? What, what does Psalm 1 call us to? Well, the primary thing I want to focus on is how it calls us to meditate on God's Word. As you flood your mind and your heart and your life with God's Word, God begins to do this work of nourishing your heart and your mind and your life with the streams of His life. Uh, But you need to hear me. It's not just reading your Bible that does this. Because you can read your Bible every day and still be reading it wrong, still be missing its message. If you read the Bible as a bunch of ancient history that has nothing to do with you or as a bunch of rules and commandments that you've got to keep to keep God happy with you, you're reading it wrong. Because the Bible is about the gospel. The Bible is about Jesus. It's a book about God telling us what He's going to do and has done to save us in Jesus. And so you've got to read every story, every command, every poem, every instruction, every chapter in the Bible in light of that story. You've got to read asking yourself, What does this tell me about Jesus? How does this show me more of Jesus? And so that's what I want to call us to this year. Two specific things. One, uh, developing developing a time when you're reading the Word of God and praying through it to help you see Jesus. And then two, learning to preach the gospel to yourself. Uh, One, when it comes to reading the Bible, it's just kind of true here that if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. And so you've got to figure out what time works best for you, whether that's first thing when you wake up in the morning or before you go to bed at night, maybe during a lunch break if that's available to you or on your commute to work or when you put the kids down for nap time, like whenever it is, just pick a time and stick with it. And, and if you don't know where to start in reading your Bible, pick up one of our Bible reading plans that's on the connect table on your way out this morning and read through that with us this year. That way you'll always know uh, where to turn next. It'll give you what you're supposed to read that day. And then even when you don't feel like it, even when you miss a day, even when you feel like you didn't get anything out of it, just stick with it. Just spend a little bit of time each day reading God's Word, asking yourself, how does this reveal Jesus to me? And just pick maybe one verse or one thought from what you read to chew on and mull over and pray about and kind of meditate on the rest of the day. And I promise you, if you'll do that, even when it doesn't feel like it, God will be doing this Psalm 1-3 work in your life and making you more and more like a tree planted by streams of water. He'll be putting down roots in your life. And look, if you don't know how to read your Bible and you don't know how to see Jesus in it, then ask us. We would love to help you, specifically as your pastors. Like our, our job description in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, the only qualification to be a pastor that isn't like explicitly based on your character uh, is the ability to teach. This is literally what we're here for and why God has called us to be your pastors is to teach you the Word of God. And so, man, if you don't know, ask us. We'd love to help. Of course we don't know all the answers, but we get so much joy out of doing this and get so much joy out of pursuing that together. I promise you, you're not going to burden me. You are not going to burden us by asking us, hey, I read this weird thing in Leviticus this morning and I don't know what it means. Could you help me with this? We'd love to get to do that. And so one, pick out a time where you can begin the habit of reading God's Word and meditating on it. 
And then, then two, part of meditating on God's Word is learning to preach the Gospel to yourself. Because every day we're confronted with lies and temptations from the enemy. And so you've got to combat those lies with the truth of the Gospel. You've got to learn how to talk to yourself and not just listen to yourself. For example, one of the primary ways that the devil lies to us and tempts us is by getting us to doubt the goodness of God, to get us to believe that God doesn't really love us, that he doesn't really have what's best for us at heart, and that real life and joy is found in going outside of God and disobeying him. And I'll just tell you, you're going to believe those lies if you don't preach the gospel to yourself. So you've got to preach the gospel, that God is your Father, that He's good, that He does love you, that real life and joy is found only in Him, and that the way that He's proven that to you uh, is through the cross. Because if Jesus has died for you to save you, man, then your identity as one of God's sons or daughters is absolutely secure. You don't have to go outside of God to find life and identity and meaning, and you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves you. You've got to preach that to yourself over and over and over and see that in God's Word and meditate on it in God's Word because so much of Christian growth is learning to do this, learning to preach the gospel to yourself instead of just listening to the lies that you tell yourself. Because real happiness is found in knowing and loving and trusting and obeying Jesus. And He's opened the way to this for us through His cross. If you want this blessed life of Psalm 1, if you want the life of being blessed by knowing Him and being rooted in Him, you can have it. It's available for you. And this is what He saved you for. And so let's make this a year where we grow in spending more time talking to ourselves with the truth of God's Word instead of listening to the lies uh, that we tell ourselves. Let me pray that we would. Uh, Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Uh, Thank You that in the midst of our um, continual failures to be uh, the man and the woman that uh, Psalm 1 is talking about, and in the midst of our continual failures to trust you and, and to walk in the life you would have for us, Jesus, thank you that you came and you relived our lives in perfection and that all of, of what you've earned through your obedience can be credited to us. Jesus, thank you that we can be united to you uh, that the, the most important thing uh, as we look out at a new year is not what we are going to be able to do for you, but what you have done for us. That you have saved us, you've brought us to yourself, you've united us to our, yourself, and we are yours forever. And so Jesus, in light of that, would you transform us? Would you renew us and grow us in our union with you this year? Would you make us, men and women who are like trees planted beside streams of water, bearing fruit in its season all the time, uh, leaf not withering and drying up. God, would you make that true of us as a church? Would you make us a people who are earnestly pursuing you um, through stops and starts and stumbles and failures? God, would would you help us to be a people who are meditating on your word day and night because we're so overjoyed that that we know you, that you've saved us, that you've brought us back to yourself. I pray you'd make us more and more into that people in this new year. In your name, amen.